What is going on, everyone? Welcome in uh, for the first time, so you don't know what fully to expect, to a brand new podcast uh, that we are doing over here at Guarantee. I am T-Bob Bear. You might listen off the bench if you're listening to this. There's a good chance that you do. Host a morning show over here on 104.5 ESPN, uh, where we talk about a lot of LSU, but like it's, you know, it's got commercials and we got to hit a bunch of topics. We don't always get to really dive into the nitty gritty, and that's what this podcast is going to be all about. It's going to be all about LSU football. And joining me is one of my favorite sports writers. He currently writes for The Athletic, and that is Mr. Brody Miller. Uh, Brody, what's up, man? Not too much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I mean, I'm I'm a print guy, or, or more these days. Yes, more, more these days I'm an online guy. But so I'm I'm a little nervous to dive into this world. But we're gonna do it together. This and, is and, and and that's that's how it is. And here, so so get up on that mic. See how close I am here. I want you to make wanna, love. Okay. Yeah. yeah now, yeah. You hear yeah. that? You hear that? And you hear now? It sounds good. No. Uh, <laughs> so you are, and and, and 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 so for this first episode, I figure we'll kind of almost give a uh, a state of the union. For LSU, State of the Union. I like where it. we where we think this team stands going. I mean, we're in the season here, folks. Like we are. Uh, it's it's this weekend, and then next week is an actual game week, and they're already kind of out of camp, right? Like there there's no yeah. more there's no more scrimmages. They're into game preparation. So we'll give our State of the Union uh, the points of concern, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to talk to you about your journey, how you ended up here in Baton Rouge. And then I want to pick your brain on uh, some of the articles you've written, one of which we featured heavily on this morning's show, and really it drove the entire conversation, which was your discussion of Dave Aranda going into year number four, this defense, the personnel, and the potential therein. But before we get to that, (laughs) let's let's – Let's kind of take a step back because the idea behind this, like I said, it's a dive in LSU football. It's a get in the nitty gritty, and I wanted to do it with you because I enjoy your writing so much. I read a ton of sports writing. I think you're you're very witty, you're very funny, but you're also very informed. Um, but you're not you're not from Louisiana. You're not from not Baton Rouge. Yeah, not at all. Not in the Quite slightest. The opposite, yeah. Okay, so give us give us a little bio. Give yeah. give us the Brody how far back Miller story. Go? Um, I mean, look, it's. Go 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 back to childhood. Let's, let's, do let's it. yeah. Let's go All ahead right. and introduce right. our, our audience. So I was an insecure little boy in South yeah. Jersey. No, okay. uh, I mean I was somebody. I moved around my entire childhood. So I was like born in Cleveland, moved to L.A. when I was like five. Wow. Moved to South Jersey, pretty much like the pretty much like thirty minutes out of Philadelphia when I was eight. Uh, grew up there primarily. I'm a Sixers fan, whatnot. Yeah. Okay, so you're kind of a Philly guy, kind of, because I moved around so much. I was raised Bengals and, and Reds, because <laughs> my, my fa- I know, right? I'm confused. Why? Because like my parents are from Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. Like I said, the Miller family, we're all over. So like I was raised that, but then I'm Sixers and Flyers. But on the other hand, I'll be the first to admit, like being a sports writer kind of ruins the ability to be a fan sometimes. Yeah. So I, I'd say really the only team left that I like get truly into is the Sixers. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's been uh, it's been a good couple years for you after a very dark Sam Hinkie years. Even though you know See, what I love those years. I, I have like Sam Hinkie tattoos on my back. I, I, I was love about to Sam say Hinkie. yes, exactly. I, I do love that. Even though Sam Hinkie ended up getting fired, that the Philly fans still seem to be embracing the process that he established You could there. argue it worked out better for Sam Hankey because 
whatever would have happened, it would not have met the expectations. It just possibly couldn't have. That's fair. And now he's just idealized and martyr, martyr, martyrized. And yeah, just, that's and true. He's perfectly, like, it's going to have the greatest legacy. He, he's become this sacrificial this sacrificial lamb at the altar. Bin so, All right, I, I could get very distracted in yeah, NBA no, Sixers talk. No, no, it's not on you. It's okay. I mean, I, but, but, but I could, yes. We'll, we'll talk more NBA when that season <laughs> rolls around. So, so you grew up all over the place, Cleveland, L.A., Jersey, yeah. uh, kind of Philly by extension of yes, Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so where'd you end up going to college? And then I went to Indiana University. So wow. Yeah, I'm just continuing to keep you guys on your toes. Do you like the movie I'm Hoosiers? I'm on the run from the law. That's why I move so much. <laughs> do you um, like the movie Hoosiers? I do, but that's not why. I mean, I like that movie as a kid. I think I like that more for like the, <sighs> the nostalgia and the music. than I, I think Hoosiers is a terrible movie. Yeah, but you don't have good opinions, so it's not that like hard to like real. That's fair. I also think Field of Dreams is a terrible movie. Oh, you lose me there. I can understand not liking Hoosiers. I, I get it. Not like you feel the dreams. Like, do you, do you not love your dad? You like Field of Dreams? I love Field I mean, like, I know it's a corny movie. So this sounds weird because... Do you not love your dad? I, I, I do love my father. Right, and, and, and happy belated birthday to my father. Just turned oh, yeah. 59. Happy, happy birthday. To the canon. Uh, no, but, but I know this sounds crazy because I like, like, movies with... Harry, uh, you know, I love Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all that Star Wars, all that kind of fantastical sci-fi sort of stuff. I have a serious problem with the fact in Field of Dreams he basically finds a portal to the afterlife and everybody's just like, oh, let's play some baseball. I want to watch this baseball game. Nobody makes a big deal at all out of the fact that he has literally bridged the gap between life and death and brought back these ghost players to play on this field in Kansas. Everyone's just like, oh, I want to go watch the game. No, yeah, so it's kind so, of insane to me. Yeah, the sequel is just some kind of like commercial like business guy trying to make trying to make something out of you know, yes. the afterlife. Like, who else can we bring back? You can make a ton of, exactly. Get, I don't know, Paul Newman. Let's get Paul Newman back. I don't know. Uh, so whatever, I'm probably holding Field of Dreams to a high standard there. So you go to Indiana, go, go to Indiana. college there, and yes, then sir. where? Ah, and then, uh, and then after, well, I entered the Pittsburgh Post Gazette one summer, and then after college, went to the Indy Star for a few months. Then, uh, first, you know, my first like real job out of college was went to the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi, covered some. Which we talked about yeah. is kind of like a breeding ground for very successful journalists. It's the best place to go out of college because, I mean, your your jump Mississippi high school sports is. It's it's their Super Bowl there. I mean, it's yeah. the most important thing there next to the Egg Bowl. And then you also, I got to cover some, you know, some Mississippi State, some Ole Miss. I got to kind of best of both worlds. So I kind of it was kind of like a wet your beak kind of first job before I came to NOLA dot com last May to cover LSU for uh, for the. Uh, the, the zombie Times Spicky. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Times Spicky. Advocate bought it up. Um, Sucks for everybody that was there. Thankfully, <laughs> sorry to bring it down in here. Yeah, no, man. It just, it just. We're pouring some coffee it, it, out right it, now. It's, it's frustrating to me. Yeah, exactly. It's frustrating to me because competition's good, right? And I guess it's ironic coming from a guy when there's no other great sports talk competition in Baton Rouge, <laughs> but competition is good and it drives, I think, excellent work and. Having both the advocate and the times pick going back and forth is great, but now you're at the athletic, and I gotta say, with the new push that the athletic just hit, uh, and now hitting six hundred thousand subscribers, up from the five hundred from last month, and like especially here locally, right, bringing Cat Terrell back on the uh, on the Saints beat, Jeff Duncan back into the fold with Larry Holder now, Huge. Uh, yeah, the legend Jeff Duncan, times pick forever. Um, it's 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 it is a I, I this is I am not sponsored by the athletic anything like that. I've not received money from them. I am. It is yeah, exactly. It is one thousand percent worth your investment now. And, and there's so many sign up deals all the time. You can literally get it for the price of a cup of coffee 
per month. Like it's like three or four. I pay like three or four bucks per month because I used your sign up code after mine had uh, lapsed. So much appreciated. I did my daily rotation now, but like. As, as sad as it is, and I want to be very clear, this is 90% a sad situation, but I think the sports situation in Baton Rouge is almost in a different way, kind of, in terms of coverage. You might even make an argument has gotten better because in, in Louisiana as a whole because, okay, now the athletics are in Louisiana yep. got four writers. You know, you got Luke Johnson now works for Gannett. That's one, that's you know, that's a good one point. other good writer in, in, um, working for, US, uh, for the USA Today Network. I just think, and, and there's more of a... a di- uh, versatility, I guess, for lack of a better word, with the sports coverage here, and that's pushing each, pushing each one of us because, you know, the athletics doing one thing where they can take time on things. That's probably pushing the advocates to do other things and vice versa. So, And you still got, like, James and the guys oh, holding I, down yeah, a tiger I'm rag. So sorry, I left James out. James, James and Tyler do a phenomenal job. Yeah, James and Tyler holding down a tiger rag. You got uh, Cody Warsham, who is a bit of state media, state media but that's okay. Yeah. We may, you know, we, but, but he does get, but through that behind-the-scenes look, yeah. even if some of it's been censored. He has great numbers, and you get really interesting kind of profiles on guys. So, yeah, I, I agree, Brody. It is a great time, and now we got this podcast. Yes, it is a great me? time to be a sports fan in South Louisiana, specifically a uh, a Saints and Tigers fan. So, let's talk about this LSU Tiger Fine. team because when you look at this year, I think that. I'm trying to think about when the last time expectations would have been this high. Uh, 2015 is yeah. probably what I go back to, right? When you had Leonard Fournette coming into his junior year. Um, you were a trendy pick for the college football playoff. I think Was that the inaugural college football playoff? Are we really only four no, years into this? the year before that. Okay. Well, yeah, so yeah, yeah maybe it was. So, so whatever. Beginning of the college football playoff, you were a trendy pick uh, for the playoff and really... And you remember, you started great. I think you were undefeated going to the Alabama game. It was supposed to be this big-time matchup. And then the wheels kind of came off after that game, and you ended up uh, really just underperforming for the rest of that year. So I guess what makes this year's LSU team different, if you think they are? Do you think yeah. they're different than that team? Like, like Because this is what somebody – I was talking to someone the other day. I wish I could remember who it was so I could credit them. Um, hell, it could have been you, but they raised a very good point where we've seen that Ogeron and company can win when they're underrated, when they're underdogs, but the great coaches, the one that really make it and stick around for a while, they're the ones who, when they have high expectations heaped on them, they can meet them or exceed them. And so I guess, where do you think this LSU team falls? And that they, and they have, let's be clear. Very high expectations. A yeah. consistent top ten team just came out as number six in the AP top twenty five. Uh, where 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 do you see them? Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you on everything you just said, and, and we can get this conversation later. My favorite discussion about this team is what's like what would make fans happy, and we can get that later. But like this is a team that if you go ten and two, you probably finish number six or seven in the country. But people are going to be pretty mad about that. Okay, so you think they would because that is my realistic expectation I think level. It's the most realistic is yeah. ten and two, um, and 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 it's a sign of how good we expect the team yeah, to be that you can kind of flip it. Yes, that you can flippantly say ten and two. But I think a lost Alabama and a lost somewhere else mixed yeah. in there makes sense, uh, just because math. <laughs> but I mean, when you when you look at this LSU schedule, right? And we talked about this yesterday, but it's not. We talked so much about the schedule last season and it yeah. makes sense because you had Georgia on there you had just a Miami, you had a lot of challenging aspects to it and because of that, this schedule's just been kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, it's great, man, you go from Georgia to Vandy, hell yeah, yeah. Uh, Texas is really good, but 
I think you feel good about Miami the matchup. They're better in than Miami last in year. In hindsight, we thought Miami was good. And 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 you can't discount that, right? Like the confidence level with which a team plays, I do believe, I'm has gonna... an effect in these sort of situations. Like Miami didn't know they were bad at the time; they still <laughs> thought they were very yeah. good. I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, they later found out they were bad, but but so that's what I was shocked about when the AP Top 25 came out. LSU plays six of the top 15 teams, yep. three of the top 10. Uh, the two group of five games that they have in Utah State and Georgia who's the other Southern. one? And Georgia Southern both won ten games. Nine of the twelve teams went to a bowl game. Like this is a damn hard. Uh, this is a damn hard LSU schedule that's just kind of being taken for granted. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Utah State got top twenty-five votes. Georgia Southern won like ten games last year. You got um, there's like I mean. It, Mississippi State got top 25 votes. I mean, it's it's not as much of a – I think it's a tougher schedule game the game than last year. And like, oh, do you really? No, but I'm using hindsight there. So we might also look back on this schedule in a year and be like, wow, Utah State was actually bad. That's and, true. Or but, if, like, uh, if, like, Texas ends up shooting the bat or something. But if we're just looking at how last year's schedule actually turned out compared to what this schedule looks like, yeah, I think this one's tougher because, you know, Auburn's a team that might go 8-4, and four, but I still regardless think they're a top-10 team. Their schedule's that tough. And really? And A&M's in the same boat. Those two have the two of the three toughest schedules in the country. See, I, now A&M's schedule is brutal. They play these top three teams in the country. I think two of them on the road. It's, that was one of the things that SC Media Day were talking about. But, but do you, so, you, so are you a believer in Auburn? I just uh... I think Auburn's really good. You don't know what the quarterback play is going to be, but I think, and don't be wrong, I'm not negating like how important that is. But What do you think about Bo Nix, the guy they just named the starter? I would pretend to know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I, know. I mean, I don't know nothing either. I just you read that he was. Of me I, I, try. I read that he was the number one dual threat guy. So I'm like, oh, I mean, that's pretty fucking good. He was the number one dual threat guy last year. <laughs> no, yeah, watch not, out, Gus Malzahn. Yeah, I mean, like, I think Gus Malzahn knows what he's doing. I think he's earned the trust to be like, hey, he knows what he's doing with the quarterback. I think that the def- defense could be Kevin Steele's best in a long time. I mean, I think that defense has a chance to be nasty. That entire front four, most of that front four is back. I mean. That's a scary team. I just don't know what the quarterback play is going to look like. A&M's almost the opposite where they're losing a lot of those core pieces, but I think Kellen Mond could be a legitimate Heisman candidate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I was pretty um, impressed with how Jimbo spoke about Kellen Mond at SEC Media Days. It seems like Kellen Mond is ready. And, and you know what? A lot of echoes of how Dan Mullen talked about Felipe Franks. Yeah. It seems like both those guys are kind of written off for portions of their career, and it sure. seems like... These kind of quarterback whispers in Jimbo and Mullen, which they are. They're two of like the four best in the country, yeah. Straight up. I think that they have started to unlock these guys' potential. So that is a bit worrying. I agree with you that A&M probably suffers from attrition in the schedule. I love getting A&M at home. Yeah, it's big. Um, the thing about Auburn is, and maybe this is to your point why Auburn should be good, is they the, the golden rule of Malzahn states that if you expect Auburn to be good, <laughs> they're going to be terrible. But as soon as you think they're going to be terrible, they're going to like – Beat Alabama and maybe win like a national championship. Like so, so I I still think that's unrealistic, and I'm not personally a believer in Auburn, but nothing can shock me with how unpredictable. Actually, you've seen the Bill Connolly S and P graphs yeah. that he's been doing. The Auburn graph is absurd. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. is a roller coaster of emotion. There has been no consistency in that program ever. It is it is truly a sight to behold. Um, all right, so, that's, so that, okay, yeah, we never so, even got to your actual question. Yeah, we got okay. So we got we got a little bit off in the weeds there, a little bit of general SEC talk. talk. It was good talk. So what? So let's let's look at this LSU team. Then. Yeah, ten and two. So we're in agreement there. Ten and two. I, I don't yeah. know if all the fans, if if you're not accepting ten and two and you're a fan, 
chances are, and, and I, that sounds like almost derogatory, just whatever, chances are your <laughs> expectations are a bit unrealistic. Yes. And, and, and to be fair, uh, you could argue that maybe ours are too realistic, but just like yeah. with math and how it works and how tough it is to be consistent week to week, 10 and 2 feels like a very successful season to me. Now, you would have to win the bowl game. Uh, and it would be another New Year's Six game. Yes. Uh, but if you finish 11-2, and two, then I think everybody would be pleased. If you finish 10-3 and three with a bowl loss, that's why bowl games are so weird, man. They color the entirety of the offseason. Uh, but, but, but I think we're in agreement in terms of expectation level. Yeah, and, and your original question was like, do I think it's different and why? I mean, the defense, you always have high expectations. At yeah. I can't think of a single year in recent memory where it hasn't been the case. So there's nothing changing there. But but offensively, I mean, we ha- it, honestly, we deserve a medal or like an extra coffee for not mentioning Joe Brady yet. Like, <laughs> we did it. Like, we did it. That's tough. On it's been like 20 minutes. Yeah, we yeah. did it. But... Um, I mean, this entire offense, as far as we know, is going to be very different. And I was, I was thinking in the shower this morning. It's like I need to, we need to come up with like an acronym to just shorten the phrase. If the offense succeeds, because yeah, it's yeah, so tough yeah. to like talk about it. And it's always just like a broken record of like, well, if the offense does what it says, it will. So how about it's, uh, itos? If the offense succeeds, itos. Yeah. Well, itos. I- the offense <laughs> LSU could be. Itos, uh, yeah, Itos, the LSU could, be, I mean, could could legitimately threaten for a championship. And now, when's the last time that really happened? Uh, yeah, it was supposed to be 2015. 2012 was the last I, time. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. P- people don't realize after the 2011 year how weirdly close you were to making it back to the natty. There was an early loss that year that I think kind of made a bunch of people throw their hands up, but you had that Alabama game won. If you win that game, you go to the SEC championship. If you win that game... Then you end up potentially in the natty. So that so that is it's been, it's, it's been a minute. But what else did you do last year? You won ten games for the first time yep. with a since, flawed offense since twenty twelve. With yes, with an offense that was bad. So Itos they could definitely achieve or they, they they could they could reach that that caliber once again. But here's the deal: I don't even know if I have need for Itos because I am drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. I am a I am a firm believer that this offense will succeed and it's because last year i was yelling from the rooftops really matt flynn uh is the one who got me on this doing a friday show one time together and i had like inklings of these feelings but he's the one that made me like kind of have the confidence to go full forward with it but last year's offense was philosophically broken yes um their over-reliance on max protection and keeping guys in protection instead of getting guys out on routes. Uh, it was the ultimate example, and I've said this a million times, of the path to hell being paved with good intentions. You think, oh, man, we're going to keep guys in. We're going to protect the quarterback more. What it led to was Burrow holding on to the ball longer and then getting sacked more. And this is not me saying it. There are numbers yeah. to back this up. If you look at passer ratings with mass protect versus uh, five-man protections, it's 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 higher on the ladder, like, like spreading guys out. There's a reason why everybody does it now. Like, there's a reason why. And so having Joe Brady come over here, even though I still think it's a bit awkward that he's getting all the credit uh, for, for the offense, but he's not going to be able to call the plays, yeah. but we can get into that. We'll that later. Um, but, but I do think that he has fixed that philosophical breakdown that existed last year. So now you have a system where pass protection, the offensive line has to be better, but more so than anything, it'll be the improvement from... 
uh, from from the quarterback position and their decision making that can protect themselves. Right, get the ball out of your hand quicker. Get the running backs involved. That you should have five receivers running on almost every, and not like wide receivers, like five guys yeah. out on routes. Your running back, tight ends, whatever on every single play. Give them that emergency outlet. That's what Flynn was talking about. Flynn was talking about one of the main things he learned in the NFL in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers is. You know, first first guy, second guy, like work through your progressions as quick as possible. I've done these there, just dump it to the back. Every single play, like, that, 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 that's all it is. And last year, LSU wasn't even allowing the back to go on route. So I think philosophically it's fixed. I think they have the personnel. Um, and if that offensive line can improve, now that is my biggest question mark, but, but if they can, um, they are, yeah, then, 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 then yeah, yes, this offense will <laughs> succeed. And, and a few things I want to say. One, I think if I had to diagnose what happened last year, and I would, if someone at LSU hears this and wants to correct me, I would love to hear it. But I would guess what happened is, not even guess, they went into last year thinking they were going to do a lot of the things they're doing this year. Yeah. That was the plan. And they spent time with you know Pete Carmichael and Joe Brady with the Saints. They spent time doing those things, learning these things. And I just think it was all half-baked. Yeah. It wasn't fully formed. And you had a new quarterback. Let's not... Let's not like negate how important that is. He was only there for about two months. Two months for the season started, yeah. which is a huge that difference matters. in this but year. I think all of it just wasn't fully formed. It didn't go correctly because of the offensive line issues. And then the way they tried to solve it, which is where I agree with you wholeheartedly, is where the real mistake happened, which is the max protection and yes. whatnot. So it was just, I think it was this combination of like they had, their heart was in the right place, not heart-mind, then just corrected it the wrong way, and that made everything worse. So, yes, I completely agree with you. They are changing so much, and I think Joe Brady... Has I think the, we'll get into this I guess plenty over the course of the season, but the Joe Brady Steve Ensminger dynamic, I almost think if I had to nail it down right now, Steve Ensminger still calls the shots. Yes, but Joe Brady's the guy who understands this offense more. Steve Ensminger's just a great play caller. He's a good you know he's somebody who's called plays before Joe Brady never has. Steve Ensminger is somebody who's a veteran presence who can run a room. But Joe Brady's the guy who knows that offense better, and I think that's where they work. As as long as they have a guy who. When push comes to shove and the big decision has to be made, as long as they know who the chief is there and everybody accepts it, then I think it could work. Uh, I do get worried about some potential friction therein. Uh, Lloyd! He produces the OTB uh, or the uh, midday show remotely. All right, you heard me yell at Lloyd there. Sorry, uh, me and Brody had to switch studios, but we are back. And uh, we're going to pick up right where he left off. So we were talking about Innsminger, talking about Brady, the relationship they're in. Um, I think you are spot on in that Brady knows the offense best, but that Innsminger is a very experienced play caller. So, you know, you could argue that it makes sense for him to still call plays. If everything goes well, I don't think you're going to have problems. But like I said, like when the shit hits the fan and it gets bad, um, who is going to be the one that has the ultimate decision-making power? And here's my big fear. Do you think if shit does get bad, Will they, because this is what they did a little bit last year. Like, they were trying to be more creative. Like, the Florida game's the ultimate example of that. They came out in that Florida game, they're tossing the ball around. They're, they're spreading it out. They're, they're, they're playing with a fast pace, and that fumble happens. And you could literally feel them like a turtle going into its <laughs> shell. You could feel them just retreat. If shit goes bad, do they retreat in a similar fashion this year? Or do you think they're committed? That's a really good question, and it's one that I flat out don't know the answer to. I think they're... Well, definitely more committed than they were last year. I guess let's start with that metric. I mean, it's definitely more committed than last year. But I, I mean, mean, he's put a dude. He's put his. And I'm talking about Coach O here at, at SC Media Days. He oh, was yeah, talking about how like we are absolutely going to 
spread the ball out. We're going to run the spread. Like, he has been emphatic on these points. So, to crawfish now would be a uh, – I know you like that. I like that. Uh, the crawfish now would be a terrible look, not just from a success standpoint, which I do believe it would be because I think, like, for a plan like this to be successful, you have to be fully committed. But from a PR standpoint, fans would melt down. They Espe- would lose their mind. Especially just with the – even, regardless of who you blame for it, just you also have that bad history of that bad taste of Ojan and Canada together. Yes. So it's yes. just from an optics point of view, it would be really bad. But I mean, the biggest difference compared to last year is, and we've said, I think we both said this plenty of times, but last year at this time or last summer, Steve Ensminger was flat out admitting, oh, we only have half the offense installed. Yeah. We don't know, <laughs> which was incredible, by the way. That's why That's Steve's true. the best, but only half the offense is installed. We don't know who our quarterback is. We don't know who our running backs are. We don't know anything about this team. And there's. Matt no. Moscona being weird again. He's trying to get in the rookie's head, I think. Uh, yeah, but and, 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 and to your point, that was an offense. Like you said, they were fully fort, 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 forthwith, forthright. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we get the point. They were very open about the fact that they were creating that offense from the ground up. Joe Brady brings in a system where we know that he trained in the ancient combat techniques of the RPO <laughs> up there in the northeast, your part of town. Uh, and then he trained under Sean Payton in New Orleans and 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 is bringing a lot of those concepts over. So this is definitely a more fully realized offense than last year. So it sounds like we're in agreement. And also, though, you're also adding, I know we're, we're kind of like, you know, beating this over the head, but also add in you have a quarterback now that has been involved with this since the day Joe Brady was hired. I mean, from what I understand, they don't run anything, they don't put anything into this offense from what I've heard unless they run it through Joe Burrow first. That's Every, a really good point. Everything goes through him and everything they're on the same page about, which, I mean, you almost wonder what would happen if he gets hurt now. But at the same time, like... I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm pretty high on them. I'm pretty high on Miles Brennan right now, bro. The, uh, the, the I think Miles anec- Brennan is fine. Yeah, the anecdotal evidence is pretty strong on Brennan. I agree that, like, Burrow, Burrow there's is a gap, the guy. Though. There's a big gap. Yeah, there's a definite gap. I I do wonder how big the gap is. I think in the intangible, yeah, well, you could know. argue the back gap is big, but yes. physically. Brennan uh, throws a better ball. He throws a better ball. And, you know, the, this offense, that's the other part. This offense is the offense that these cats have been running their entire lives. It's the same. It's the type of spread that yeah. they grew up in high school and everything. So it's you know, I I think for the first time LSU doesn't just have a good quarterback starting. I think they have a, actually have a pretty quality backup. But true. Uh, full full disclosure. I, I should. I'm probably a little biased when it comes to Miles because he's been dating my little cousin for the last couple of years. And I didn't all know that. Each other. Yeah. Oh, I would have given great kids. So I'm gonna shit for that from now bit. on. Yep. 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 So so maybe I'm not the best judge. Um. Okay. So it sounds like we're in the same yeah, boat with the offense. Yeah. We think, and don't worry about beating things over the head. That's like this is going to be a nitty gritty LSU podcast. The beat you over the head the whole, pod. Yes, the, the, exactly. Yeah. The beat you off pod. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, wow, I just screwed up my own train of thought. So we, we agree that the offense should be good this year. I think they're fully committed. I think the, they fixed the core philosophical issues that they had last year. Um, let's talk about the defense, and this is where we'll bring in your right right up from this morning, because what I love so much about this. And, and and really, what gets lost in the shuffle because offense, as you said, Itos, because I that's become such a big deal. Um, the defense sometimes gets the benefit of the doubt where maybe they shouldn't. And if you look at last Agreed. year's defense, it's a good example. Yes, they were an elite pass defense. Yeah. Like nobody can mistake that. All, all the advanced looks everything they were great. Um, Number two in the country in passing S and P plus. Wow. Okay. I see. I didn't even realize they were that yeah. good. So they, so they were truly, really in that regard. 
they were not in rush defense. They gave up what, like 167 yards per game. What, what's the kind of analytical look at their rush defense? Which, by the way, is really funny because as much as we talk about last season's pass issues, we always talked about how bad the pass rush was. That was always the conversation. Yeah. But it actually didn't end up being that bad. Really? The problem it was more just that the four man front four man rush was bad. Uh, you, were having actually, to add, you were having to add guys yeah. to create pressure. Which and it, takes it, it ended up working area. in their defense. But, yeah, they were number 32 in the country in S&P Plus rush defense, which, by the way, is opponent-adjusted. So that factors in how good those opponents okay, were. Okay, I was going to say, because that's better than I would have thought. But, it's yeah, still not up to LSU exactly, standards, that's but not it's better than good. I thought. So if you actually just look at, like, the non-opponent-adjusted metrics, which, of course, that matters because you're in the SEC, but it's, you know, they're 77th in, in rushing defense efficiency, 39th in stopping explosiveness in rushing game. Uh, 76 and stopping basically just like an opportunity rate defense, which is basically just allowing what a defense offense is supposed to gain on an expected yeah. play. So, I mean, in general, the run defense is the biggest problem, which Ed Ojean has talked about constantly, which is, I think, where a lot of the changes you're seeing on the defensive line are coming from. Yeah, and 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 for those that don't know, uh, speaking of philosophical shifts, that's on the defensive side of the ball, it's probably the biggest has taken place. They are moving away from the Pete Jenkins kind of read and react school of D-lining. Which is most 3-4 defense, uh, right? Yes, yes, yes that's yeah. fair. I, sh- I shouldn't I, I should just put that on Pete Jenkins. <laughs> that is because you have your nose who's just head up and he's a space eater and your guy's head up. And they are moving, though, into a more aggressive get up the field. Now, now it kind of makes sense for them to be more read and react last year with Devin White because that freed up Devin White to just be a straight-up playmaker. Linebackers, this you're going to have to be a bit more disciplined, but – you need to take advantage of Fajoko and Lawrence while you have them. And you need to give them the ability to create havoc themselves, not just to do the dirty work for others. And so I think that'll happen this year. But but to go back to the point is last year past Stevens Elite, Rush Stevens not that good. And then in the ultimate stat that matters, points per game, they were seventh in the SEC. Points per game live. And I know that A and M throws that off. Yes. I know that the A and M number makes it an outlier and and, the, and they are better then that number seven, but still, but it's still if you want to go ten and two, the defense has to get back to being one of the top in the country overall. You have to be top four, top three in the SEC and points allowed per game. You need to be top ten in the country in all these metrics, and I think you have the personnel to do so. And that's where it's interesting because Dave Randall, you're paid like you're top ten. You're paid like you're number yeah. one in the country, and with great b- big time money comes big time expectations, and so. I know the LSU defense gets the benefit of the doubt every year, but last year they were not necessarily a truly dominant group. And so if you want to get to being a championship team, if you want to actually threaten Alabama, if you want to go 10-2 and with this schedule, I think they have to get back to being a truly elite defense. And and as much as like I wrote about all the creative things they're gonna do and all this and all that, like that the fun stuff they're gonna do, I think the answer is really simple about what they need what they need to be great this year. It's you have Caleb Von Chasson back. Yeah. It, it might be that simple. That's a good point. In addition to the things they're doing on the defensive line, I think that combination is what might make the biggest difference. Because every th- issue they had last year was them not having a true edge, edge rusher, and then they had to make all these different changes, moving Delpit around, moving all these guys around to just try to m- make up for that. That's so, a really good point. Like, if the root of all evil is the lack of being able to pressure the four-man rush, then everything. Caleb Von obviously unlocks. He, he solves that problem. And, and, and you expect... After the ACL, Caleb, you you like where he's at? Yeah, I think these days. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but no, I just just need someone who follows the team. You talk to people, you're informed. Yeah, no, and I was gonna say, I think these days an ACL is not what it used to be. An ACL, you come back, you're gonna be 
on most times these days you're going to be fine the next year. Yeah. And yeah, every, I mean Caleb Onchasson for everyone I've talked to is 100 percent back. And especially to what he was. when he, he thinks got he's stronger. Hurt. Especially when he got hurt, he's at a full year. It's That's not a- like he caught it like late in the year and then he because about I remember because I tore my ACL and I feel like. About, like, six, eight months out, you can, like, play. Like, I think I was practicing during spring, but I was a little hesitant. But once you hit that 12-month mark, you're kind of, I mean, you're ready to roll, and he's coming up on that Yeah, he was practicing in the spring, and he wasn't going full pad just because they didn't want to be stupid about it. But I think he could have done that. Yeah, no, protect your guy. Protect your guy. So I think he feels like he's stronger than he was and whatnot, so I think he's going to get back. And, And, yeah, if he gets hurt again... Yeah, that's really bad. No one's arguing that. But at the same time, your guys behind him, you could just move Divinity back to where he was last year. Yeah. That's well, I, well, I've been here to Andre Anthony. Huh? I was going to say, Anthony and Thornton, I've heard Anthony's had his best camp. Thornton's had some good scrimmages, and those are both guys that did, for what it's worth, get a lot of experience last year. Have you heard any Jarrell Cherry hype? Not the same yes. position, but just, I mean, because we've heard, I mean, the, the backpacks, the, the bricks in the backpack story was excellent. Exactly. But he gained 40 pounds? 40-something pounds, which in a ridiculously if you small want to, If you want to be cynical, you can kind of be like, ah, the what's, weights are a little... what's going on there? But, but, but. But it sounds like with him, it's actually ridiculous. Well, and to be fair, um, I was only 265 when I showed up back in the day. And I think by my end of my freshman year, I was like 295. And then eventually, so you I got up all the way to like 318. So like you, you, and, and, and I, I never did. I never did any steroids, anything like that. <laughs> um, it's too expensive. I'm not going to lie. In low moments, like I had so many injuries. I was like. Man, I should look at it some HH and I saw the price tag. I was like, hell no. I'm a steroid. How do people afford know. this? Like, yeah. I mean, well, your your veins, bro. Yeah, it's aggressive. Just, it's obvious. You're yeah. so vascular. I just I can feel you pulsing. We need to like build a narrative that I'm like a Ryan Rosillo like builder. <laughs> and then like people will meet me and just be like, huh. I think you just made Rosillo's day. Uh <laughs> making him the like jacked steroid meathead. Uh not steroid. But, no, okay, okay, uh, okay. No, no, we got, but so, yes, to answer your question, yes. I've heard a lot of really good things about Drell Cherry. It's just tricky because they are pretty deep there. I yeah. don't know how much he actually cracks the rotation, but yes, the buzz there. I mean, is he? Well, okay. Well, that's phenomenal. interesting, though. How deep are they on the defensive line? So it's uh, a great question. You could look at it either way. Yeah, yeah. I go back and forth. Like if Cherry's good, then maybe that's the difference. Because right now I see Fajoko, I see Lawrence. You got Shelvin Ica in the middle, which I don't love only having two guys there. But you know, did you mention Glenn Logan? Yeah, uh, and then, and then that's what I was saying. Then back. So is Glenn Logan going to be playing in the middle? No, I mean, no, I think you're... On the edge, yes. Okay, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. So, so then you have Logan and They Farrell. view it as they have five starters for okay. three spots. Okay, okay, okay. And keep in mind how often they play two defensive linemen for what it's worth. They that's love a good that. Point. Um, I mean, so, yes, five isn't incredible for a three-man, but but that's just your starters. They feel and, like, and, and Logan and Farrell are the last two there of the five? Neil I, Farrell and Glenn I would Logan. say you have two starters at nose, yeah. Shelvin and Apu, and then you have three starters oh, at the end spots. Okay, okay. You have... Logan, uh, Fajoko, and Lawrence. And, okay. I mean, Ed Ogeron said this multiple times. Other people in the staff have said this. They view all those guys as starters. So don't get tied into who's the starter because Logan's just – if Logan's not the starter, which would be my guess, he's going to rotate, gonna rotate yeah. plenty. Or if – same with um, Orjan said, the starter at nose tackle is going to change almost every – like constantly. So don't make a big thing of it. I, we'll get, I almost have a theory that like – it's an off-the-wall theory, but nose tackles, you know, they're so big. They have these little issues all the time. It's almost like they have to treat it as you just want to make sure one's healthy every week. Yeah, make sure one's healthy, and then make sure that the big guys can get going in the fourth quarter. Like yeah. that's that's why that's why Alabama's defensive line has been so successful over the years is because their depth allows them to be impervious to a lot of the pitfalls that you can generally get on defensive lines. Like in 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 the more run heavy world of football, where maybe you're moving away from this, but when you used to like lean on teams. 
And the 2011 LSU team, that was our specialty, right? I could feel guys just break by the end of the game because they really? were tired. If you can go three deep and rotate and not have that much drop-off, uh, it's hard to break that team, right? They just they, they so, and that's just the top heavy guys, though. Yes, and then and then you could get by in a game with just those five, in theory, right? You, yeah, not ideal, but you could. And then you have Neil Farrell, somebody you always hear good things about. Justin Thomas, I've heard he's done some really, really? good stuff. Okay, he's, he has not popped up on my radar yet. I've heard he's done some good stuff, looked good in a few scrimmages. And then you have a Drell Cherry, who I mean, I don't know if he's there yet, but I mean, the upside for him sounds really high. That's that's now you're at eight. You know, yeah. I, I and you know. Okay, so you know, this has all made me feel way better. I think the depth of I think I've been misreading. I think the depth of the defensive line is probably a little bit stronger than I was giving it credit for. Well, I think the answer is always going to come down to, almost goes back to what we we're saying, the attacking. Because as much as we talk about the depth there, those guys get hurt a lot. Yeah, they they do quite often. Almost every person we just named has been hurt in one form or another, except maybe Logan. Yeah, the trenches are brutal, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it what happens. would you know about that? Yeah. <laughs> look, look at this sweet scar on my ankle. You, you see that? It's a great scar, guys. Yeah. That's for you guys to know. Yeah, good radio. And then, but also, it's the answer is going to come down, though, because those guys weren't that productive last year, aside from Lawrence, I would say. They weren't very productive. But, and I think what happened. Well, Hoku had his moments. He, he did. He, he caused well, he was a couple also in the wrong interceptions. Position. Yeah, that is fair. They, he, he should not have been playing those. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. They had to, but. It was a weird situation. It, yeah. it, you are not maximizing Brady Hoku's potential if you haven't played those. Yeah, because you. You would have his moments where he just completely fools the center and like swims them, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's amazing to have that athleticism there." But down the down, he got beat a lot there, which isn't yeah. his fault. I kind of feel like him and Lawrence were still three techs in their heart. I, I don't know. Like <laughs> we'll 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 see this season. It doesn't matter though because it's not going to happen. What whatever that doesn't matter. Um. So I want to go to your article from this morning Stop. because uh, as you pointed out, Dave Aranda for the first time in his twenty four year career is going to be at a place for a fourth year in a row, right? And I love the opening line where he's talking to Louisiana Tech D coordinator Diaco. Is that how you say his yeah, name? Yeah, Bob Diaco, yeah. And Bob's like, look, Dave, there's a lot of tape out there on you, man. And it's kind of true, right? Like, we've seen Aranda's defenses start to take just a couple step backs, not by leaps and bounds, no, and like but- we said, elite pass defense last year, but we have seen some of those step backs. So the challenge for Aranda is how does he reinvent himself? Yeah, and reinvent might be too strong, but I mean, yeah, I get your point. How does he evolve? Yeah, because like, I and I think the most interesting thing he said was he talked about his Big Ten days, and he's like, listen, and it's true. In the Big Ten, at least when he was there, it was Wisconsin, Iowa are just going to do the same like four <laughs> things every game, and and it's like remember the Titans, we're going to run six plays, we're going to run and the, damn good. But his also point that didn't make the article was in the Big Ten, especially at those programs. They were so experience based. Is that like you're going to redshirt? You're not going to play until you're a redshirt junior on the or like on average. Yeah. And those guys just know what they're doing, and they're going to beat you with those executed plays. And that's how he coached them. And now you go to the SEC, where it's like you saw it in the Auburn game at times. You saw it, especially in the A and M game, where these coaches they have a beater for every little thing you do. So you have to constantly adjust and confuse people. And in his defense, it's almost like the Enzbanger thing we talked about. Arena talked a lot about some of these things last year. And I just think he didn't get to do it all because of the issues and the injuries mm, and whatnot. Mm. He talked about some of these things. And he experimented with some of them. You saw it with Delpit. Yeah, sure. He, I mean, he he moved Delpit all around. He started at that quarter safety role that you break down in the article, which is kind of that safety linebacker, playmaker, hybrid. Although, I have to add this. My favorite thing, so the coach's clinic every year, yeah. right? I sat, you, get, you let reporters sit in with certain like individual things if you want to, it's and great. I sat in with Bill Bush, and the best thing he dropped, I might get in trouble for saying this, but he's like, someone asked about the quarter position, he's like, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. 
we just tricked Jacoby Stevens because it's an outside linebacker. We just called him corner safety. And he was just like, he's like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's do it. You know, we wanted Jacoby to be an outside linbacker. It was Excellent. But, uh, and, and, okay. And so, and so now this touches on what I really want to chop up with you, which is this idea that scheme wise, yes, Saranda is going to evolve and he's going to change some things because you, you have to, but maybe the greatest ability of Aranda to become unpredictable is through personnel groupings and personnel switching and cross training. And you have a situation where you could have Delpit as that outside linebacker hybrid and you have Todd Harris or Eric Monroe deep. You have a situation where you could have Delpit deep and Jacoby Stevens yeah. at that hybrid. Even maybe Stevens could play deep and Delpit the hybrid. Yeah. You, you carry Vincent on the field as the nickel. You could have Delpit, Stevens, Vincent, and Harrison Monroe on there. Like, and so, and then when you combine that with Calevon rushing, dropping into coverage, with Divinity and Queen, who have both played on the outside and the inside, suddenly I, I kind of view this LSU defense like in a, in, in a perfect world. They could almost become this sort of amorphous blob, yeah. this all-consuming blob, which can evolve and adapt to whatever the task at hand requires. And that becomes very exciting. And, you know, I think that is the most exciting and fun thing to follow. Just watch. I love my Sundays, you know, like most writers. I, I study the game again on Sunday. And sometimes yeah, yeah. you just watch what Dave Aranda does, and you're just like, God. Not that it needed to be said, but that man is so much smarter than me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, and, for sure. And obviously, and it's worth noting, like, LSU is one of the, like a handful of schools that could do these things because they have that kind of talent. Not many schools have a Jacoby Stevens or Grant Delpit that is big enough to play linebacker but athletic enough to play safety. You know that's and also like one of those guys won't be on the field constantly, right? Yes. Like that—that's what's so crazy. crazy. Not only do they yeah. have that talent, but that guy won't even be an every-down player just because of how good they are. And that's his answer about how he's evolving. And that's the part we didn't mention is that his answer about how he's evolving is I learned to just build my scheme from the talent. Yeah, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this amorphous blob, almost like the Warriors of basketball, where it's positionless yeah, football. Yes, that's, that, that's, that's what I want to hit on. That's what you called it. The back end of that defense. Once you get past the defensive line especially, it truly is becoming more and more they positionless. Even said Stevens, he said Stevens could play stack linebacker. I believe it. Yeah, I, I believe totally believe Especially that. with the Bill Bush, especially with the old Bill Bush story <laughs> that you just gave it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And it, now, 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 but do you get it all concerned about that much emphasis on the safety in a world where we just talked about how the LSU run defense was one of the problems last year. Because that, that's something I was kind of toying with in my brain this morning. Obviously, a lot of that's going to be like just situational awareness and how heavily you're committing to those three safety looks versus what you're expecting the offense to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't because I think so much of the, I think some of the run issues came from what they had to do with Caleb Von out. You know, I think yes, lot, yeah, yeah. I don't fair. know. I mean, I, I don't want to talk out of turn, but I think I got that sense that I think a lot of the run issues came because they were doing so much to make up for the pass rush that that opened up the run game. Well, and one thing that they were doing a lot because, as you said, they couldn't get a rush of the traditional four man rush last year. So a lot of times they were still doing four man rushes because they didn't want to overcommit guys, but they were doing it in very creative ways. Yeah, the guys true. adding in and dropping out. But to your point that takes away some of your run game integrity because you're 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 gambling a lot more. You 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 you're trying to hit these gaps and you're not playing as as disciplined necessarily. So um maybe like yes, maybe Calevon really is the the key to like I'm putting the, a lot the, of the, the root of all evil. No, but I mean but but so so are the coaches. Yeah, right? True. Like that that that's been the conversation is that he was an irreplaceable player when he went down last year, and it kind of played out like that. Um, 
Okay, so I, f- I feel like that's a pretty good state of the union with the offense and the defense. Good. We'll start. We're, we're going to do a little posse neggy combination here. <laughs> um, what do you think the best part or position group, the greatest thing that this LSU team has working in its favor is? I think you got to go with the safeties. Cause okay. It, okay. You know. No, I love it. And it's either safeties or receivers. I mean, so, yeah, I was thinking I, think, I was leaning receivers, which is weird though because there's no production there. Like, 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 it's like last year we said that might have been the most talented group on the team, but they didn't have one guy who had more than like five catches or something. If you're not counting Giles, so it is weird to have so much expectation for a wide receiver group, and that's what I was going to answer because it just seems like you have guys for days so with talented. Chase and Marshall yeah. and that. Like we said, and those Jefferson. three, those three can be stars. And then you have four other guys behind them that you feel pretty like you on average years would be pretty. So who, about. who else? Who else do you feel good about? Uh, uh, Trey Palmer, Trey Palmer, the freshman. I've heard he's they, done very. They good. like Racy McMath a lot. He had a great scrimmage the other day. Racy did. Um, um, was it a new name cropped up the other day? Devontae Lee. Scrimmage. No, how's Devontae Lee doing? I think he has. I think he's a little lower on the depth chart because you know he. I think he needs to learn some things. I think he's behind on the offense mm. playbook and whatnot. But that man, I mean, it's ridiculous how much his fellow receivers are like. Oh my goodness, that guy just jumps over people every really? single day. They said every single day he makes one different like over the cornerback catch. It's ridiculous. Well, but, and what's crazy is they got like four more good receivers committed for next season already mm. for next recruiting class. Well, that's already. as much as we talk about Brennan. That's gonna be the most fun thing about Brennan. Might have his flaws, but Brennan. With that receiving core next year, if this offense works and you have another year of it, you have Chase, Marshall, Palmer, Lee, Jarrett, Burton. Like that's uh, a pute. Like I mean, it's and, and and not to get too far ahead, I know, but, but that that's it. The, kind of feels also like Joe Brady's kind of the OC and waiting for next yeah. year also. So yeah. yeah, could be very. Nobody, exciting. I don't think anyone. I don't think anybody else. He was fighting that either. No, uh, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they, usually they, they, you flirt these things, and you're it. just yeah. like, you know, you're a little pushback. Like, no, no, Steve's our guy. You know, and it's like I think they love Steve, but I don't know if Steve necessarily wants to be the OC forever. I'm not saying I think Steve probably loves that too. If he gets his like stay on his tight ends or something, yeah. or whatever, like that's 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 my guy. That's his happy spot. Yeah. So that's when you float it to LSU people, they're just like, yeah, we'll see. You know, they're not they're not fighting back on it. They're, um. All right, so okay, so if I so I answer receivers, I they're very deep. We need to, I still need to actually see them do it, but 100%. the potential of that group is massive. So you think the safeties, though, maybe the most talented group. And by the way, team. quick note, quick plug. I actually I published a story about two hours ago on the receivers hey. and why it worked out that way and why why it was only Justin Jefferson getting targets and all the things changing to change that. Nice. Yeah, little plug. Yeah, yeah let's yes, do it, dude. Okay, I've been about to read it yet. Yeah, <laughs> um, we'll tweet it out later. Today for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the safety is just because, and we'll, we won't have to dive into it because we just did. But it's because what the safeties allow Dave Aranda to do. It's you know Eric Monroe is like your fifth guy there, and I think Eric Monroe is a good football player if he's That's healthy. Crazy. You don't have proof that he can play much, but. He's, he's, Everything you hear is that he's always been a beast in practice. It's yes, just his body's kind of yeah. betrayed him. Marcel Brooks, we even mentioned him. We Marcel even, Brooks will be. <laughs> I don't know how much. Be, I'm curious. He'll see the field, but I'm curious how much he plays because he plays the same position as Delpit and, and, and Stevens. Stevens. But, I mean, he's going to see the field, and he has a chance to be a freak in the future. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think the safeties just give them the most flexibility. So, I think that's the strength. All right, so on the flip side, um, the neggy part. Uh, I think I know where you're going to go, but <laughs> what do you think is the biggest concern with this team? It's the the answer is just because the rest of the team I don't really look at as weaknesses. So I think you have to just say the offensive. Line. It's it's by default. Yes, uh, the offensive line. It's not to say that they are bad themselves, but in a team full of very strong looking and depth filled position groups, this is the one that seems like it could go awry the quickest, and the one that, as yeah, you I, point out, they return a lot of experience, but it's not great experience. 
It's exactly right. And and returning experience, the, just the numbers bear out that it doesn't always translate to more success. Our guy Shelly Mick, Sheldon Mickles, the advocate, he had a lead the other day of an offensive line story that was something along the lines of, Normally, when you have four returning starters, it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm like, Shelly from the top rope. I might not be quoting that perfectly, but I'm like, yeah. Uh, it's so good. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Damian Lewis is a plus. Lloyd Cushenberry is a plus. There's no doubt about that. I think Sadiq Charles has talent to be a pretty good offensive lineman. And I think the hype around him is really good right now. Yeah. The, uh, that, that, that he was hurt last year. That's a new story that I've been hearing. Yeah. He was, that he was hurt last year. wasn't 100%. He's been lifting his ass off. Some of the weightlifting videos, he looks strong yep. as fuck oh, right Tom, now. Tommy Moffat once talked to us at length about, like, he wasn't able to do so many upper body things last mm. year. And that's what you were saying, basically. Of like, So he was just, his body was limited. Then he had his own injuries during the season. So it was just, I think he's at least physically going to be leaps and bounds better than last year. I don't know if he's going to be. Because some of the plays, you know, him and Austin Deculus both, it wasn't even that they weren't strong enough. They just looked lost at times. They did. They did. And, they absolutely did. And the defense you'll get from LSU people on Austin Deculus is, he was 19 years old. I mean, he was a sophomore, but he was 19 years old, thrown into SEC football, changing positions constantly, and just was you know had a lot to go on the learning curve. But he's one of the more physically advanced people on the team. Most people will tell he's you, a big boy. Yeah, and I think he's pretty athletic. He just doesn't look like it, but you know the word is he's pretty athletic. Why? It's because he's a big white guy, Brody. Deceptively, I, I will never say that. I will never say that. No, just yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, he's a big fat guy. I mean, well, he's not like super fat. Well, and he looked unathletic on the field. Last he's year. yes, and he would get run around sometimes. Yes. Um, Southeast, no, no, but but to your point, man. I mean, look, the greatest way to just mischaracterize a guy's potential is to throw him into playing time before he's ready. Yes. Because you don't allow time to develop. Like, I, I know countless guys, myself among them, like, I was not ready to play till my third year at LSU. Really? And even then, I was not that. Like, I redshirt sophomore years when I finally found And is that field. more physically or mental? Or both? Uh, both. Both. I felt like um, mentally probably even more than physically, yeah, I actually. I, I, I think so. Um and, and 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 so like yeah so Deculus has potential still but that right tackle remains the biggest concern 100%. and you do hear up and down reports from right tackle yes. I've heard almost all good things about Sadiq yes and he is someone who he went the opposite direction he had this unbelievable freshman year where you're like wow the potential of this guy is massive and then he kind of stayed put and maybe took a step back so you want to see can he capitalize on the potential he displayed freshman year the real concern comes in at guard and not not right guard where you got D Lou you feel good about that. Uh, even though if you lose him, then you immediately feel very yes, sketchy. That's bad. Um, but the left guard position—you've already lost Cardell Thomas, who is maybe going to fight for playing time, and give you depth. Yeah. But my problem is, and I think this still holds true. I don't think the projected starting offensive line—if we have Chase and Hines as the projected left guard—I don't think the projected starting offensive line has gotten to practice one time together this camp. Ooh, I'd have to go back and check my notes, but I think you're. Probably and if they right. if they have, like it's been there, maybe Lewis once. Yes. Yeah. And even yesterday, who was out? Was it Sadiq or somebody? Lewis I was out again. Lewis was out, but then Hines is back finally. Yes. Um, was he repping with the ones? I believe so. Okay. I mean, yeah. Ed O'Shawn is, you know, he's he's never shied away from the fact that he's always subtly hinting, like, they want Jason Hines to be the starter. Yeah. He's physically better. I think, you know, Adrian McGee just has a lot of limitations despite his experience. I, I, I feel bad for McGee. It's not a slight against him because we can all only do – the most with what we have, and I feel like he's yeah. been there when LSU's needed him, and yeah. I feel like he's you know he's worked his ass off. Also, he was the starting right tackle last year on opening day. Like, yeah, that's got to yes. be a big moment for him, and then he's down and never gets the job back. But. Yeah, so it's 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 and you know and he didn't transfer, he stuck with it, and he's still out here fighting, and 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 he's you need those guys, those guys that are there to answer the bell, and maybe they're not the best. 
but they're to answer the bell when you need them. Uh, but but that said, in an ideal world, Adrian McGee's not a not a starting offensive lineman on this team. Which is that's I think you feel fine about Heinz starting there. I think the the downside is Cardell getting hurt because I don't know if because I th- I don't know if Cardell would have actually been playing Week One or anything like that. I, think I heard that a lot. I think he had a way to go. Yeah, he had a way to go. I he heard that he days. was coming on. Yes, I already uh, had like some amazing days. Yeah, and then others were. Just keep going. Sorry. No, no, you're right. No, no, I, I, we're hearing the same thing, and 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 and, and an element of that's just natural. Especially when you're that young, uh, what I hate for Cardell is the timing of this injury. Almost, unless he just is way ahead of where I think he is, it almost wipes out his entire year. Because oh, because not only are you expecting like like not only is it tough enough to play at 18 years old in the SEC, but now you're expecting this guy to come off of an injury and be just as strong and fast and and know the playbook and hit the SEC schedule ground running, and that's where it becomes disappointing because I don't know if, if I expect anything from him now this whole oh, first year. Yeah, and, and I, this would be a better conversation for you if I'm curious, but you have a big guy with pre-existing weight issues now with a bum ankle? That could be could be a bum the, ankle? Okay, so, so the only reason that I would say I'm not worried about Cardell, I always look at a guy, because I was not this way, and uh, to my detriment, I look at a, is a guy self-motivated. Okay. And so when I see Cardell Thomas lose the weight that he did while he's still in high school before Tommy Moffitt gets a hold of him. He showed up to campus yeah. in great shape. He lost a lot of weight. Lost yeah. a lot of weight. So when I see him do that on his own, that to me speaks to a guy that has that internal motivation. So I'm actually I'm actually not worried. Like he might balloon up just because physically he's not going to be allowed to do some stuff, but I'm not worried about that becoming a a long-term problem or getting out of control. Like, he might gain a little weight. I think he can lose it right back relatively easily. So, yeah, that's fair. so I, 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 I'm, I'm going to give Cardell the benefit of the doubt on this one. But, um, but yeah, as we said, so, so so that's kind of a personnel look at him. And, and then what I think, where what's going to be interesting to see is if the O-line really does improve this year, it's going to be tough to parse, like, is the improvement coming from just the players getting better or because they are finally running an offense that is more O line friendly. Because that it, that can't be. We it's our, our mistake for not mentioning this earlier. Is that yeah? I think a lot of the issues came from how they ran that offense. Yeah, that they were in position to look bad. Very know? predictable from a formational standpoint. Very predictable from a personnel standpoint. Which we talked about that defensively. Um, and I know Joe Brady's talked about this, especially with the receivers wanting to mix them up as well. They need to. To try to become less predictable and uh, and and the max protect issue. So yeah, I think last year's philosophy did not put them in great positions to succeed. Talking about the O line, and I, I've always wanted to ask you this because I, when I was doing that research on offensive line story weeks ago, a lot of the another st- banger. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh, a lot of research said that it's not even just like the predictability or things like that or the receivers. When you go max protect, one study I saw showed that. It's bringing more bodies near the line of scrimmage on defense, which makes life tougher for the offensive line. So I'm curious if that's true in your experience, is that it's not just the, like, the things about scheme and all that. It's that that makes life tougher for the offensive line because it's harder to dissect where you're picking up. Yeah, and well, and, I, and, and, and if you're going to condense everything like that, it becomes a bit easier for the defense, I think, to hide looks and to okay. kind of hide things. Um, I, I, I don't know if I have the best perspective on this because – is the era of when I played football, which sounds weird, but it's like a decade era. ago now. Yeah. Um, I mean, a fully stacked box was our everyday fair. affair, right? Fair, like fair. playing under less miles in the peak less miles days. A stacked box was our comfort zone. We're like, nine guys? Fuck yeah, let's do it. 
Let's do it. Sure, we only got seven to block. But fuck, I mean, it doesn't matter. They'll get tired eventually, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I would say this. Um, I think the main problem last year is that when they were doing the max protect, it's just that what is an, an O-lineman's best friend? A quarterback that gets rid of the ball. Why do Drew Brees' offensive linemen love him? Why has he been able to make line after line look like a bunch of all pros, even though the Saints line is just really fucking good right now on Absolutely. their own? Uh, but it's because Drew Brees gets rid of the ball. So when you were doing these max protecting, and the other team's only rushing four, and so they're dropping seven into coverage, and you're only running three guys out on routes, uh, you're holding on the ball for three seconds. You can't block someone for three seconds, even if you have multiple bodies. And so that will be the biggest help to the offensive line, should be at least, the time that uh, the quarterbacks get rid of the ball. And I'm interested with Burrow because Burrow can run. Is Burrow fully committed to getting that ball out of his hand fast? Does he try to create and kind of finding that? It's a very delicate balance, finding that balance of when can I rely on my feet to extend plays and to make a play versus when does an over-reliance on my feet mean I'm holding on to the ball more and I'm creating more negative plays? And that's something that they'll have to kind of parse through as the season uh, as the season goes on. But 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 so so that's something to look for yeah. is that the philosophical change could be what the O line's best friend, and if we view the O line to be the biggest weakness, and then really that how they do will decide how far this team goes, and that's all something it's going to be very important. Um, all right, I, th- I think we're coming up on an hour here. I feel like good. we feel like we hit a pretty good state of the union here. Uh, real quick, Cade York replacing Cole Tracy because last year. Cole Tracy represented literal wins, yes. right? Like on, like just from a numbers standpoint, and not just like games in which you make a game-winning kick, but like the Miami game, yep. the Georgia game, the ability to consistently cash in for points was uh, it, it was it was the difference between a ten-win season and like a seven-win season last year. Can Cade York uh, fill those shoes? I mean, he's got the talent. You know what I mean? He's he's ranked as like the number two kicker in the country yeah. coming out. I mean, he has all the talent. You talk to people around him, they say he does have that kind of moxie and makeup that he can handle those situations. But there is just – you're full of it if you pretend to to know these things. That's true. So, I mean, yeah, I think – you know, everyone you talk to will say he's more talented than Cole Tracy was as a freshman. But Cole Tracy's also, like, a sociopath with how, like, kind of focused he (laughs) is and, like, how he has this perfect routine and whatnot. And that's why Mind hunters. I've been watching a lot of mind hunters. Yeah, same here, man. So, like, that's why he's the all-time leading NCAA kicker. So, you can never – if you you cannot expect him to be as good as the all time NCAA kicker, yeah, like you, yeah, leading kicker, that, 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 that's, wow, I forget that he literally is the all time, let alone in his fourth year. So wow. like he was at his best. So no, there's going to be a drop off probably. Yeah, but I think Cade York has the potential to be one of the better kickers in the SEC, and that's all you can ask. And he will be eventually, I guess. the The big question here is it's so much riding on this year. Is he ready to be great immediately? Uh, whew, it takes it takes balls. To they be love him though, so they do. They do. Will. Anecdotally, one of my favorite <laughs> words. Uh, the Good anecdotal word. evidence on York is spectacular. Yeah. Um, all right, so there it is. That's kind of like an LSU State of the Union. Touch a little offense, a little defense. Got to know us. Uh, got to know us a little bit. So this is the hold that podcast podcast. Um, sure. I guess is 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 what we're naming it for now. Uh, we reserve the right to change the name. Yeah, we'll we, take recommendations if yeah. we feel so. Yeah, you get and, and 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 look, get your questions in. Um, I don't know exactly. Maybe we'll set up like a Gmail. You can hit us up on Twitter. We'll figure it out as we go along. Like this thing yeah. will continue to evolve, but we do want to have like a little Q and A portion each each episode and 
And coming up next week, we're going to be into- I can give lifting advice. Exa- yes, yeah. yes. I, I mean, the, the vascularity is what stands out to I know, me. Get out of hand, yeah. Your forearms just, I mean, it looks like if I pricked you, you would be spurting blood across It wouldn't the be safe for you, yeah. Um. So so we're going to we're, we're gonna address this, uh, and then once the season starts, we're going to talk about the opponent, the upcoming matchups. That'll start next week with Georgia Southern. So uh, we hope you enjoy this. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to do it throughout football season. Uh, on behalf of Brody Miller, Brody, thank you so much. Very excited for this. Thank you for coming out. Oh, dude, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't say having me. We're co-hosts. But Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm really excited about this, uh, and I hope people are too. I am too, and so uh, we look forward to it. So if you enjoy it, spread the word, and we will see you next week on the Hold That Podcast.